Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. You know, before we get rolling, we just have to do something. Do me here, shut your eyes for a second. As we were in worship, God gave me a, a, a picture of a sailboat in the middle of the ocean with its sail strapped to the mast, closed. And sitting on that boat, people were like, hey, uh, we got we to gotta get going here. We got to get going here. And the wind's blowing all around it, but the sail is closed. And I believe what the Spirit is saying today is this, open the sail. We don't make the wind of the Spirit, we catch the wind of the Spirit. We don't tell the wind how to blow, where to blow, we simply catch the wind. Some of you have made sails of your own that have holes all through it because they're not from God. So today, I want you to do one thing, catch the wind. Open your sail, catch the wind. So right now, just in your seat, I just want you to pray. Give the Holy Spirit permission to fill your sails. Give the Holy Spirit permission to move you where he wants you to, move, be, to be moved. Give the Holy Spirit permission to, to come and to, to fill every part of you so that he can uh, fulfill you in becoming the person that he created you to be. Pour your spirit out, Lord. Raise your sails. Raise your sails. Let go of expectations. Let go of fears. Raise your sails. Let go of past hurts. Let go of mental constructs. Raise your sails. Raise your sails. So Holy Spirit, would you do that in us today? Would you move us along, Lord God, as a church empowered by your Spirit? Holy Spirit, would you forgive us for making our own sails. Would you forgive us, Lord God, for, for intentionally not opening our sails, Father? Will you help us to simply catch the wind of your Spirit? We need a fresh wind, Lord. Come. Come. For some of you right now, he's, just, he's starting to refresh your heart, your spirit. You've been beaten down, you've been tired, you've been weary, and the Holy Spirit's giving you fresh wind right now. Fresh wind, insight, peace. Just receive that. Raise your sail. All right. So, Father, would you do that in your name? And everybody said, Gee, does you love God moments? He's not scary. He knows you by name. He knows the hair on your head. Do you know that? For some of you, that's a quick count. One, two, we're done. Lean into the Spirit. He knows what's best. All right, I'm excited because we get to start our brand new series today. Um, Flourish was great. Uh, this is a series uh, we're going to be able to sink our teeth into. It's called The Way. Do you know that you are people of the way? You are. Before you were called Christians, we were called people 
of the way. How many of you know that in order to get somewhere, it's probably a pretty good idea to know where you're going? How many of you have GPS on your phone? How many of you remember life before GPS, where we just spent all the time being lost and had no idea where we were at half the time, right? I mean, we all had that one, those one or two friends that could navigate the roads by, you know, the, by the stars and by the moon, and they would use things like, you know, go south. What does that mean? You know, go north. I remember you know, growing up in Pittsburgh. How many of you have been to Pittsburgh? It's an old city. So you go down into Pittsburgh, and they would tell you intersection turns by the hands of a clock because sometimes you would be in a six-way intersection. You ever try to navigate a six-way intersection? I mean, you better be a person of prayer. That's all that I'm saying. You go right through there. And so when I, you know, go north, what do you mean north? Now you go 3 o'clock, go 4, go 5 o'clock, go 4.30, you know, stuff like that. That's what you do. You need a map if you want to know where you're going. You need to know the way. I remember a few years ago we... Uh, I had an opportunity, again, I was part of an adventure group at our church in Illinois, and we went down to navigate the current river. Um, how many of you have ever done like uh, uh, river camping, where you kind of go down and, and, and there's like, you know, you're in a canoe and stuff like that, and then you bring all the stuff that you have with you, and you just kind of, you know, camp at the bank. Have you ever been, has anybody been that adventurous before? It's incredible. It's amazing. Um, so we were on the current river. It's a beautiful place. Uh, you can go to the next slide. I think I got a picture of it in here, do I? Oh, that's just with the compass. No, I don't have a picture of it. Um, so we're going down the current river. It's the middle of nowhere. It's in Arkansas. We camp for the night. There's about eight in our group. And all of a sudden, as we're camping there, we're breaking down for the night. We see people. Now, these are people of the land, you can tell, because they're driving a pickup truck through what we thought was a solid, uh, a solid like little, uh, like forest. And they, they drive up to us, and they get out of their little pickup truck, and there, there's three there in the pickup truck, and we're, we're there sitting there. And, you know, I'm just going to be honest with you. You're in a canoe. You're going down stuff. You know, you start to think of some of the movies that you saw growing up, and I thought, you know, this is where people die and get lost and get eaten. You know what I'm talking about? Um, so out of this pickup truck uh, jumps this guy, and he introduces himself. He says, hi, uh, my, name is, uh, my name is Chris. And, you know, his, his two other people got out of the car. One was his, his, his daughter. Uh, his daughter, I still remember this, uh, she was about uh, seven months pregnant. She had a cigarette hanging out of her mouth. He said, hi, this is my daughter, Deborah, and this is her fiancé, Bill. And we said, hello. And they said, we're just here. Uh, you're here right now at Chris Hollow. And they said, uh, you're here. This is where the wedding is going to take place in two days. We're here to, to get Chris Hollow ready. And I thought, well, this is a little awkward. We're here camping. We think in the middle of nowhere, and here we're at Chris Hollow. So... Um, we go down there, and as we're sitting there, they're getting all the stuff. We, they said, do you mind if we clean up the ground? Because there's snakes and all kinds of creatures here. We're like, there's snakes here, huh? That's good to know. Maybe we should camp somewhere else. I don't know. So they start to clean up the ground and do all these things. And then um, all of a sudden, we, just, we, we struck up a relationship with them. We got to know them. It was great. It was wonderful. Um, so as we did it, we got so close with these people that we, um, they invited us to the wedding. Now, I mean, it was amazing. So we're in Arkansas, and we're invited to the wedding, not just the wedding, but we're also invited um, to the reception. So they gave us a little thing that they printed off their computer, and I'll never forget this as long as I live. They said, you know, you're, you're invited to the wedding of, of Chris, and I forget the girl's name, uh, and the wedding was at Christopher Hollow. That's what they called that little place we were camping. And the reception was at, I'm not making this, lot, not making this up, was at Squirrel Richardson's house. No address. Squirrel Richardson's house. And I thought to myself, how cool is it to be in a community where the destination of the house is just the name of a person? 
Squirrel Witch is his house. So we took the little stuff, and we, we decided that we were not going to be able to make the, uh, the blessed event. So we, we, they made a little, a little trestle there, and, uh, and then we, we actually put money on it and left it for them. Um, and we never made it to the event. But I remember coming down there thinking, if I wanted to go to Squirrel's house, how would you get there? I mean, how do you know how to get there? Because there's no directions. There's no way to get there. You can't get to your destination without having a map, without having a GPS, right? Um, in our faith, Christ is our map. Do you know that? He gives us our marching orders to become who the people that we are. I told you earlier, you know, earlier this morning, early on, the believers, we were called people of the way. Um, in fact, we were referred to people as the way before we were referred to as Christians. Do you know that? Acts 9.1 says this, and this is very interesting. This is Saul, a.k.a. Paul, talking about us as people. He said this. It says, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out uh, murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found anyone who belonged to the way, you see the, the capital W, that's us, uh, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So that's how they referred to us, like we, we were people of the way. Well, where did they come up with that? Well, they came up with this from the words of Jesus. John 14, 6 said this. These are the words of Jesus to us. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So here's the million-dollar question this morning. What does it mean to be people of the way? Well, this entire month, we're going to take a deep dive into looking at what this practically looks like for us. Today, we begin with this question. What is our calling to live as disciples, people of the way, practically look like? What are the marks of the people of the way? If you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. If you uh, have our app, you can get all my notes. If you're on the version of the Bible, look for live events, look for Trinity, you get my notes. Here in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, we see Paul lay out um, a little framework for what it means for us as people of the way of how we're supposed to live. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says this, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to leave a life worthy of your calling. For you've been called by God. Verse 2, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Make an allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Now most of us in this room have a story about how we responded to God when he first called to us. Most of you in this room, if you've given your heart to Christ, you remember what your life looks like before Christ entered the picture. Now, he called us, not unlike how he called those that we read about in Scripture. Sometimes we look at the, you know, the story of Matthew, we look at the story of Luke, and you see these amazing things and how God called the early disciples, and you think, well, that's cool, but God didn't do that for me. Do you know that if you're sitting in this room today, God called you? He did. You didn't just discover him on the trail. He called you. So again, with this calling comes these powerful moments of commitment and transformation. But you have to remember this. For us as believers, those moments of calling aren't the end. They're the beginning. It's not the finish line. It's the start of our journey with Christ. When God calls you and you give your heart to him, it starts that whole, that whole pathway. So what does the way, living out as people of the way, that calling look like for us. Well, from the passage, you see certain characteristics, things that we need to possess if we're going to get to the end of our journey. How many of you know that the goal is to finish the race? 
The goal is simply this in our faith, to finish the race and to take as many people with us as possible. The only thing that you have that's eternal, beloved, is people. Your stuff is going to stay here. Your house is going to stay here. People are the only things that you can bring with you. So what are some of the things that we can pull from the passage that we need? First, if you want to be a person of the way, you have to be humble. Humble humility. It's t- How many of you know that it's tough to be humble? Especially if you're awesome. The more awesomer you are, the humbler it's tough to, it's, it's tough to be humble, right? When you look at the Greek word here for humble, it actually means this, to think low of yourself. Now, this is nuts, and I don't really know what to do with this. Again, I'm a word nerd. I like the ancient world and all this stuff. This concept of humility was very new for the ancient world when it came out. In fact, are you ready for this? Actually, this speaks a lot to me as a Greek. Neither the Romans nor the Greeks had a word in their vocabulary for humility. That's not nice at all. I think of all my Greek uncles and stuff like that. Now I know why it was tough for them to be humble. They didn't have language for it. The very concept of humility, thank you, Toby John Harris. I'm starting to sweat a little bit. Forgive me. The, uh, we could drop that temperature a little bit. That would be great. It's slightly under an inferno in here. Thank you. The very concept of humility was so foreign to their way of thinking, they had no terms to describe it. In fact, during the first several centuries of Christianity, the pagan writers borrowed this this word for humility from the Christian writers in order to kind of display things for, for, for things they wanted to get along. In fact, the pagan writers, when they talked about something being like humble, that was a derogatory term. That meant that uh, they were lesser. That meant that people were more, more simple. Um, that meant that they were uh, to be looked down on. So the early Greeks and the early Romans, when you use the term humble, they didn't know what to do with that thing. But Jesus, how many of you know that the kingdom of God turns everything on its head? If you want to be first, what do you got to be? You know, if you want, if somebody tells you to go a mile, then you go longer with them. It's extravagant love, right? Jesus viewed humility as a strength and the counterbalance to one of the biggest things that you and I have to deal with, pride. Pride. Pride is one of those things that gets all of us into a lot of trouble, isn't it? Have you ever had pride get you into trouble? How many of you ever got on the Facebook and you got in an argument on the Facebook and you couldn't stop arguing and pride got you into trouble? How many of you were arguing with somebody around your dinner table over politics? Over, you know, if you want to save money like at Christmas time for Christmas gifts, you know, talk to people about politics around Thanksgiving. And it clears the list out. It does. It clears the list out. Pride gets us into trouble, especially the older we get. We need to understand what humility is. All of us are becoming something. We're growing. We're changing. We're gaining in wisdom. We're gaining knowledge. We're gaining understanding. Now, part of our growth isn't just the things that we gain, whether it's pounds or wisdom. Part of our growth always and also is learning to navigate and handle things that we can no longer do that we used to be able to do. You guys have no concept of that right now. Someday you will. And I'm praying that I'm there to see it. Our skills change. They evolve. Some of the things that you used to do, you just can't do anymore. Uh, This is a picture of me as a 17-year-old. Look at that hair. Wasn't that hair great? That's good-looking hair right there. Oh, if I only knew how good that looking at hair was back in the day. Shut up, Ben. <laughs> He's like, it's a black and white picture. Of course it is, you know. We 
had those. We had color too. We had color TVs, all that stuff. Now, what's funny is this. When you look at pictures like that, as you get older, it's hard to comprehend that we aren't those people anymore. Think back to who you were as a 17-year-old. Do you remember the things that you could do? The amount of sleep that you needed or didn't need? You could live on pixie sticks and Yoo-Hoo and be fine. Now you do that and you got to go to the doctor, you know, because bad things happen to your body, right? So you look at stuff like this and, and you're just not these people anymore. So something, this crazy phenomenon happens, especially when you have children, especially when they're children that irritate you. Wow. Not, not you guys, I'm talking about other people. Sometimes the kids, they don't believe you when you tell them that you used to be able to do these things. They see you as you are now, they don't see you as you used to be. And this is usually where pride gets us older people in trouble, because we feel the great need to prove to these children and these kids that you can still be what you used to be. Um, I remember I was coaching football uh, in Inglewood, and um, you know, back in the day playing football, I was a pretty good athlete. I played for, uh, on a state championship team, part of a Hall of Fame kind of thing in, Penn, in Pennsylvania. And, um, and I was telling the kids, I was a kick returner, I was fast. And they would look at me and they'd say, Coach, you, you weren't fast. Say, yeah, I was fast back in the day. You, you weren't fast. I was. I used to run like a 4640, which back in the 80s was fast. Now, not so much. Now, linemen run 4640s. So I was talking to these kids one day and I was telling them that I was fast. And they said, Well, if you're fast, if you were fast, Prove it. Now, I had not sprinted at that point in 10 years. But in my head, I still had everything that I needed. How many of you know what I'm talking about? In your head, you still got it. So we're lining up doing our stuff. I got on the line just like everybody else. And I remember they blew the whistle, and I took off like the wind. You know, I mean, I could hear the music. I heard the, I heard the flutes from Titanic. It was absolutely amazing. And I'm running, and I'm fast, and I'm ahead of these kids. And they're like, holy cow, coach is fast. And everything was great until there was a sniper somewhere in the stadium, and he shot me in the right hamstring as I was running. It hit me in his, I went, ah, and I rolled, and I laid on the turf. We had one of these turf fields that held these, like, like little black little rubber dots on the turf. So they were all over my face, and I was laying there in pain. So my moment of victory turned into a moment of hilarity and defeat. Why? Pride. How many of you know that pride gets us in trouble sometimes? Pride in normal life gets you in trouble. Pride in the life of a believer is devastating. It makes you less pliable. It makes you less open to the Holy Spirit. It makes you less moldable to the Holy Spirit. It actually helps to reject the spirit leading you in your life. The more prideful you are, the less humble you are, the less spirit-led you become. Do you know as a believer, you could be in the church forever and struggle with pride. And if pride gets a hold of you, it'll stunt your spiritual growth and keep you ineffective. That's how poisonous pride is for us. Pride can keep you stuck and keep you from growing in your faith. Proverbs 16, 18 says this about pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Humility is one of the characteristics that us, as people of the way, need to embody. Humility is the posture that we need to have if we're going to walk out our faith, and if you're going to live up to your calling, you need to be humble. Humility is the understanding of our own insignificance in the light of God's significance. There is a God, beloved, and you are not him. There's a God, I'm not him. 
Have you ever asked yourself this question? Your faith. Who is the rudder to your faith? You or God? Sometimes we have our own little form of Christianity that we come up with. Do you know that? Well, me and God have this thing going. We are together. We are tight every other Sunday. Because we just have this agreement. Have you ever talked to anybody that had an agreement with God? They don't say it like that, but they do. Oh, me and God have this thing. We, we have this thing. Who is the rudder for your relationship with Christ? God or you? Humility is understanding that God's in control, not us. Humility allows us to be molded and shaped by God. It gives us the ability to become the people that God created us to be, the people of the way. 1 Peter 5, 6 puts it this way, and it's beautiful. Humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Humility. Believers, if we're people of the way, we need to walk in humility. The second thing we need to do is we need to be gentle. What does it mean to be gentle? Well, look at the passage real quick. It says, therefore, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Now, the Greek word for gentle is kind of interesting. Prodous, which actually means this. It deals with temperance. Now, again, I'm a word nerd, so how you construct these words is kind of important. The root word for this, this Greek word is pra. And pra comes from the Greek word to be meek. So sometimes when we think of gentleness, we think of just, oh, being soft and being, being, being tender. But actually, this, this really is, is defined as having a gentle strength. Meekness is having all the power you need to get things done and choosing not to use that power to override somebody, to hurt somebody. That's what this is. Jesus was meek. He was not weak. He was meek. Gentleness is being more than nice. Gentleness is choosing to interact with others in a way that guards and promotes their heart. It's building people up tenderly with love and care. This means this. We're not just nice to people because, you know, we just want to get things from them. We're not just nice to people because we tolerate them. Now, all of us have been on both sides of this fence, haven't we? This whole flattery, being nice kind of thing. Have you ever been nice to somebody because, well, you know, they were the door to get what you wanted? Have you ever been nice to somebody because, well, Jesus said you had to? I ask you that all the time. <laughs> you got to love me, right? I remember uh, we were at one of our churches. I won't say where because... We've got people that follow us from all the churches we've been to. And uh, this, this, this certain guy that was there, and he was very, what I thought was uplifting. So I would get done with my talks on Sunday, and he would say, Pastor, that's the greatest talk I've ever heard. Billy Graham, you know, you, that Billy Graham. And I'd go, oh, that's kind of nice. You know. Now, again, I'm not saying this to not encourage people. I'm saying watch the motive of your heart. So he would tell me all this stuff, and he was always there, and he was always this great guy that would stand with you. And it was a little bit over the top. Have you ever been with somebody who was a little bit over the top? And I always thought, I wonder if there's something with this. But, you know, it is what it is. So I remember one day he and I were out at lunch. He says, Pastor, he says, we've known each other now for a long time. It had been like three months. And he said, uh, he said well, he says, I, you know, I've been praying, and God told me a way that I can help you. I said, well, great, I'm always looking for help. He said, well, he goes, this is what God told me. And he wrote on this piece of paper, a bunch of names. He said, God told me this. All of these people that I'm going to write down 
there's names for you, are enemies of the church and you need to get rid of them. So he slid this piece of paper to me over the table at lunchtime. I didn't even look at him because he said, because they're all enemies of the church, he goes, and they're basically worthless. I didn't even open up the paper. I just, I, I just slid it right back. I said, I said, man, I said, one of the things you need